Welcome to the Paul Gunn Podcast. Paul is an American pastor and chaplain who seeks to teach the Bible in an easy to understand and inspirational way to people of all ages. He believes the truths found in the scriptures have the power to change lives. Paul's church has a diverse mix of nationalities and ethnicities where the scriptures are taught in seven languages. When he's not serving his church, he's serving the military as a chaplain. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoy this edition of the Paul Gunn Podcast. The title of my message today is Four Questions to Consider. I will be preaching from Nehemiah chapter 7, if you'll turn there. We are now halfway through the book of Nehemiah. And before we begin our lesson here in Nehemiah 7, let me give you a summary, just a recap of what we've learned so far. Nehemiah was a Jew who was born away from Jerusalem and worked for a foreign king. And he felt a call from God to return to the homeland of his ancestors and help rebuild the wall around the city. And the king blessed him and provided supplies. The people in Jerusalem, the Jews, had returned some 100 years prior, but they had not yet rebuilt their wall. They were living among the rubble of when the wall was torn down by their enemies centuries before, and this was a disgrace. Nehemiah rallied the people to rebuild the walls and got behind Everyone got behind the effort. It was quite incredible. They did face opposition, but they pressed forward anyway. And we see that the wall was completed in record time. So in today's message, we're going to address four questions. First, do you fear the Lord? Second, are you protecting yourself from the enemy? Third, do you recognize God's voice? And four, how do you feel about giving? And someone's probably thinking right now, leave it to the preacher to come up with that last point. But it's actually a profound part of the story. First, let's look at the topic, the question, do you fear the Lord? Look with me at Nehemiah chapter 7, starting with verse 1. By now, you should be able to find Nehemiah rather quickly in your Bible. After the wall had been rebuilt, and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hananiah, along with Hananiah, the commander of of the citadel because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts, and some near their own houses. Well, three distinct groups of people 
are listed here because Nehemiah was a wise leader. The gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites. The gatekeepers monitored what and who came into and went out of the city. They maintained security and kept order. In addition, temple gatekeepers had ceremonial duties. In today's world, the gatekeepers would have been like the SEALs, the Delta Force, these specialized forces that, that do whatever it takes to protect America's assets. These men were the gatekeepers, and they were, they were protecting uh, not only the wall, which was their, the nuclear bomb of its day, was the wall. Nobody messed with a city that had a, a fortified wall and gates. And if you wanted to conquer a territory, a city, you had to have a plan on how to destroy their largest defensive weapon, which was their wall. The gatekeepers' roles were very important. Next, we have the musicians. The musicians pay, uh, played an important part in cultural and spiritual celebrations. Musicians, you might like to know. It was Nehemiah's appointee out of the three groups. The musicians were important. Next, the Levites. God had ordained the Levites to be set apart for temple service, and these were teachers of religious law and the ones who oversaw judgments. These three groups were vital to the city's physical, cultural, and spiritual well-being. They were recapturing the culture that had been lost. And Nehemiah had decided that these three groups were necessary for the Jewish people to retain and regain what they once were. It was their own version of revitalization. And in addition to appointing these three groups, Nehemiah selected two important men. The first was Hanani, who was Nehemiah's brother. Hanani was one of the men who first visited Nehemiah and delivered the news to him about the wall not having been rebuilt in Jerusalem. So it makes sense that he was the one receiving this appointment. The wall was just as important to Hananiah as it was to Nehemiah. And the second appointment was given to a man named Hananiah. He was the commander of the citadel. And citadel means a fortified structure. And although the specific citadel Hananiah commanded is not clear... This military experience would be a great asset for someone in this position. However, Nehemiah was, was more interested in two other qualifications. And here they are. He was interested in Hananiah's integrity and his fear of the Lord. The original word, the Hebrew word that's translated into the English word integrity is emeth, and it means firmness, faithfulness, and truth. It carries with it the connotation of stability. The English definition of integrity is 
the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. Therefore, a man of integrity is both reliable and he's good. And the Hebrew word used here for fear is yoreh, not to be confused with Yahweh, the word Hebrew word for God, but yoreh. It has several meanings, including, of course, to be afraid or scared, but it also carries with it the meaning of awe, to revere, to honor. So Hananiah was a good man. He was a reliable man. He was a man who feared the Lord. And these days, we do not talk a lot about fearing the Lord. We're more likely to hear about God's love, about our love for God. But is there a reason to fear God? What does the Bible say? Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13 tells us that we should fear God and keep his commands. Deuteronomy chapter 10 Verse 12 tells us to fear the Lord and walk in obedience. And Proverbs 8 verse 13 proposes that to fear the Lord is to hate evil. You know, you might say, but Brother Paul, you've, you've told us that the scripture says over 300 times to fear not. Well, God does tell us to fear not. Jesus told us people in the New Testament to fear not, but it's clear from Scripture that there is more than one type of fear. God does not want us to dread Him. <laughs> Obviously, He loves us and He wants a relationship with us. However, our God is a holy God. He's a perfect God. He's a powerful God. And we should definitely have a, a deep reverence and respect for who He is. God is not some old, jolly, grandfatherly figure with a long beard and a rocking chair winking at our sin. He is perfect. He is supreme. And an appropriate fear of the Lord recognizes and bows before him as our ruler and king. So we should fear the Lord in that aspect. We should have a sense of awe, the sense of justice that comes from the Lord, the, the sense that we've sinned and, and his Holy Spirit has convicted us that he's not happy with us and we need to confess that. that. That healthy fear, that healthy respect of the Lord is what Hananiah had and his integrity and his fear of the Lord is what led Nehemiah to appoint him to his post. So as we think about rebuilding our own wall, we have to ask the question, do we fear the Lord? Second, are you protecting yourself from the enemy? Nehemiah chapter 7 verse 3. Already read that, I'll read it again. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened till the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint 
residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their post and some at their own houses. Nehemiah's instructions remind me of the old saying, nothing good happens after midnight. (laughs) He wanted the city locked up. He wanted the gates barred and secured well before that hour, and he did not want the city reopened until the sun was high. And he knew that a wall alone would not prevent attacks. He knew that people could sneak in in various ways. I'm sure the city gates were quite busy. He took extra precautions to prevent the enemy from sneaking in. You know, being a Christian does not mean that we will not face opposition from Satan. In fact, it means just the opposite. It's not like it's not like Satan says, hey, they're already gods. They're already on God's side. I'll just leave them alone. On the contrary, you know, Satan hates God. He, he hates God's people. And that the only way that he can hurt God really is to hurt his followers. So Satan will do whatever he can to wreak havoc on the lives of of God's followers and to prevent us from building up the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And like Nehemiah, we should seriously consider this issue of security. I'm not talking about the security of our salvation. I'm talking about the security of our of our minds and our bodies, protection. What do you do to protect yourself and your family from the enemy. When I say the enemy, I mean Satan. Uh, when we dabble in those weak areas of our lives, we open up the door for the enemy and we welcome him inside. We allow the enemy to get a foothold when we are selfish and when we refuse to forgive someone. We allow space in our lives for the enemy when we are not growing as disciples of our Savior. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 tells us to guard our hearts. As long as we live in this world, we will have to deal with ongoing distractions, temptations, things that pull us away from from the Lord and the things that the Lord would have us to do, things that pull us toward evil. We must guard against evil. And there's a time to, to shut the door. There's a time to shut the gates of the wall of our lives and to open God's word and to listen to the teaching of it. So we have a responsibility to guard ourselves. We have a responsibility to guard our homes. I'm sure many of you have had numerous thoughts just then. When I was giving that point, probably you thought, If I could go back and rear my children again, this is a change I would make. We all tend to have those thoughts, what if, but we can start with where we are right now. We can set up that protection around us to be prepared for the enemy because the enemy is going to be after us regardless of our phase of life. He's going to be after us. So do you fear the Lord? Are you protecting yourself from the enemy? Next, do you recognize God's voice? Let's see what the scripture says here. 
Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families, a census, if you will. I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return, and this is what I found written there. Well, you see all these details in those, the rest of, uh, much of the rest of the chapter all the way through verse 69. There was a, a detailed inventory of people and even animals. The wall was finished, but just because the wall was finished did not mean that the work was over. <laughs> the finished wall, the rebuilt, the fortified wall with the fortified gates and the appointed guards was just the beginning. There was work to be done. Much like today, a census would help determine the needs of the community and the resources and the manpower that was available. And it would help Nehemiah determine and organize the city defenses and solidify who would serve in various capacities in the political and religious offices that the people would need. In addition, it would, it would be a historical record of starting over. The wall was rebuilt. No one alive remembered what it looked like when it had been uh, built before. They'd occupied the ruins of the old city for more than 100 years. So they were starting over. They were putting the past behind them, and they were starting over. There was only one problem, and here is the problem. And this is talking about this, this idea of knowing God's voice and knowing God's will. King David had once conducted a census going into uh, so deeply and doing this deeply dis displeased the Lord. Uh, in fact, the, the punishment uh, for that act resulted in the loss of 70,000 lives. Second Samuel chapter 24 talks about it. And perhaps this is why Nehemiah made it clear that this census was the Lord's idea and not his own. So why would God so severely punish David for conducting a census and then many years later want Nehemiah to conduct one? How did Nehemiah know that God had initiated this thought? How do we discern between God's voice and our own? I've been having a, a conversation with, with two people in recent weeks about decisions that they have to make and discerning God's will. And in order for us to know whether a, a thought is from God ourselves, the first thing we have to do is examine God's word. We have to be like Nehemiah. Nehemiah knew, this, he would have known the story of David quite well. And while he recognized that David had sinned by taking a census, he probably also knew about other censuses that, that God had commanded and blessed. Nehemiah knew that if God had allowed others to conduct a census, then the census itself was not a problem. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17 reminds us that Scripture is both relevant 
and powerful. Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 assures us that God will not change his mind about something that is already decreed. So if you are thinking or planning something that is in opposition to God's word, you can be certain that it is not from God. So the first step in knowing whether or not a thought, an idea, or a plan is from God, we must know and examine God's word. The second step to discerning is examining your own heart. And more specifically, according to Psalm chapter 26, verse 2, you should ask God to examine your heart. And the problem with David's census was not the census itself. The problem in David's case was David, specifically his heart and his motivations. A car is a tool. We all came here in vehicles, but someone can also use a car to rob a bank, to put other people's lives in danger. Somebody can drink and drive and cause an accident. So it's not the car is not the problem, it's the use of the car. And David, David's heart was not in the right place. His motivations were wrong. And Nehemiah was clear. The census was, the census was God's idea. So if you are having trouble deciding whether something is from God, or whether something is from your own desire, search God's word and ask God to search your own heart and to reveal any sinful intentions. And we see numerous times where David repented over his sinful intentions. And if the Lord reveals to you something, then you have your answer. Repent. Nix the idea. Start from scratch, asking God, for direction, asking him for wisdom. So do you fear the Lord? Are you protecting yourself from the enemy? Do you recognize God's voice? And last, how do you feel about giving? Now this is really interesting. I mean, this just kind of comes out of nowhere in the book of Nehemiah. Right here in the middle of the book, right at the turning point of the book of Nehemiah, we've got this section about giving right at the end of chapter 7. Look at verse 70. Some of the heads of the families contributed to the work. The governor gave to the treasury a thousand derricks of gold, 50 bowls, and 530 garments for priests. Some of the heads of the families gave to the treasury for the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. The, the total given by the priest of the people was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 garments for the priests. Verse 73. Let's go on there. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers... The musicians and the temple servants, along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites, settled in their own towns. But I doubt that it bothered the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In fact, they probably felt really good that their gifts were accounted for. It demonstrated their contributions were appreciated and accounted for in the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And what a person gives, listen to me clearly here, what a person gives is between that person 
and God. God sees, God knows, and we should not give for pride's sake. We should not give to impress others, but we should take our giving very seriously. Again and again throughout the whole Bible, I mean from beginning to end, time after time, the scripture points out that God expects his people to be giving people and to give to his work. You know, there is, there is no scripture in this whole Bible anywhere that says, hey, don't give to God's work. You know, we have, we have denominations, some groups that don't like to be called denominations, but we have, we have religious groups that have taken you know, a handful, three or four, five scriptures and formed a whole theology off those three or four or five scriptures. Do you realize we don't even have one scripture in the Bible that says do not give to the Lord's work. God expects his people to be generous. God expects his people, listen to me, to be sacrificial. God expects his people to be people of faith. The gifts that are recorded right here in these verses this is, this is gold, this is silver, this is expensive garments. These were, these were the savings of people. This was their security. And they gave willingly. And giving is not something that we should have to do or something that we should do begrudgingly. We all should consider it an honor and a privilege to contribute to the Lord's work. We should give in a way that ensures that we have nothing to be embarrassed about. But I want to also point out this. It's really important for us to start somewhere. You know, Susan and I have talked about this before. When there's a need, you know, we, it's, autom- it's, it's, it's kind of human nature for us to think, well, since I can't give $1,000, I won't give anything because my small gift won't matter. Au contraire. Your, your gift matters regardless of the size of that gift. What's, what needs to be behind the gift is the cheerful spirit and faith, faith. So Nehemiah's story continues to encourage us to look deeply at our own lives as well as our contributions to God's work. You know, occasionally I'll talk with a church member who confides in me how the Lord has blessed in their lives and they're just so excited to give to God's work. And they've just just somewhere or other been inspired that that God has given them this gift of giving and they just, they just can't outgive God. If you want to have a contest with God, try to outgive him and see what happens. So the questions today, do you fear the Lord? Are you protecting yourself from the enemy? Do you recognize God's voice? How do you feel about giving? All the people here that rebuilt the wall didn't only give labor, they gave sacrificially, monetarily. So if you're not a Christian today, if you're listening to me, these questions are also relevant to you. 
You cannot fear the Lord if you do not have a personal relationship with him. The Bible says that you are either for him or against him. There is no in-between. There's no neutral ground. Uh, however, you can recognize God's voice. God's voice is the one calling you right now. God's voice is the one that's brought that sin to mind that you need to repent of. And God's voice is telling you to repent and trust Jesus. He wants you to give your heart to him. He wants you to allow him to be Lord of your life. He wants to take charge of your life. You've been listening to the Paul Gunn Podcast, produced by Marie McKinney-Oates, available on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tina Tran. Have a good day, mate.